men, women, teenagers, children, we sit here before you as those who amazingly can say, it is well with my soul. Thank you, Jesus, that you've done everything that was necessary, that it might be well with my soul. Come now, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us through your word, for your servants are listening. For your honor and your glory in us and in the church, we pray in Jesus' name. Well, there's a saying that goes something like this. Make your plans in pencil because God has a big eraser. That's great wisdom. How many of you have ever experienced that? You said, oh, I should have made those plans in pencil. (laughs) You know, you've made some good plans. And then you found yourself on your knees and you were praying, God, what is happening? God, what are you doing? Some of you are there right now. Some of you have been there in the past. Some of you will be there soon. You've got plans. You had dreams. Things were going to work out. But God took his big eraser to your plans. Look at what the Apostle Paul went through. Paul was a man whose life was radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gave him an ambition. Uh, Once his eyes were opened to what it means to really know God, he had to spread that message. So Paul had a passion to bring the gospel, the good news, that the Savior had come, and his name was Jesus, to take that good news to the nations. And so Paul made plans to go where the gospel had not yet been heard. How did his plans work out? We're moving through a series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're calling it Joy No Matter What. Joy along the sometimes bloody trail of life. Uh, It's a fallen, broken world. We are fallen, broken people. And all of us have some wounds and some scars, don't we? Well, today we get to the part of his letter to the Philippians where Paul starts to tell part of his story. So far in the letter... What we've seen, he has talked about how the Philippians are doing. He loves them, he misses them, he's praying for them. He's confident God will finish what he started in them. But now Paul is going to start talking about how he's doing. He's going to report what has happened to him since the Philippians last saw him, which was about six years earlier. Paul had left the city of Philippi after he planted the church there. And then he visited several churches in Asia and headed for Jerusalem. En route to Jerusalem, some people told him not to go there. Don't go there, Paul. But he went anyway. He arrived in Jerusalem, and some of his own people betrayed him. He was beaten and almost lost his life. He was thrown into prison. While Paul was in prison, 40 men made a vow not to eat or drink anything until they killed him. Paul remained in prison for about two years. So when the Philippians got Paul's letter, they were probably thinking something like this, Paul, your great plans didn't work out too well. I mean, the last time we saw you, you wanted to go to Rome, you wanted to go to Spain, you wanted to preach the gospel in those places. You were enjoying your freedom. You had a powerful gospel ministry. 
But all we've heard about you since you were here are tales of trouble and prison and shipwreck. And now, now you're going to face the Caesar Nero? That man is evil. He's crazy. We're so sorry that your good plans did not work out at all. Is there anything that we can do to help you, Paul? So you can see why I've titled the message today, When Good Plans Go Bad. When good plans go bad, you'll find an outline on the back of your sermon, uh, back of your bulletin. Paul has had a pretty rough go of it. His good plans have gone bad. And the thought might easily have occurred to him, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? There are times when we all feel that way. Something happens to us, something unexpected, something painful, and we say, deep down inside, if we don't say it out loud, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? We seem to be stuck in the same job. Other people get promotions or leave for better jobs in better companies. We work hard, we do good work, we get along with people pretty well. But for some reason, others who are hired after us seem to advance, and we don't. Or we can't find work at all. And we think, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? We try out for the high school basketball team. We're still in the running. It's down to the last cut, from 20 down to 15. And as we kind of mentally compare our ability to others, we we expect to make that final cut. But to our surprise, we don't. We're cut from the team. And we know we're better than a couple of the others who made the team. And we think, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? We have difficulty conceiving a child. Other people get married and seem to have one child after another with no difficulty. And then as we watch them raise their kids, you know, sometimes we're tempted to think maybe they're not very good parents. We're pretty sure we would be good parents. And we think this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? But that is not apparently the thought that occurs to the Apostle Paul. During his two years of imprisonment in Rome, a totally different thought has settled into his mind. A thought that I think, brings a grin to his face and just plain makes him happy inside. And he wants to share it with his dear friends from Philippi. He wants to tell them how he feels about what has happened to him and why the idea of unfairness never occurred to him. So he's writing to them, I want you to know what's happened to me. And because of what's happened, believe it or not, he says, I rejoice. With all of that, I rejoice. So let's read Paul's reflections about what has happened to him. Our text today is Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through the first part of verse 18. This passage of scripture, this passage of scripture can change your life if you let it. Follow along as I read. This is the word of God, Philippians 1, beginning in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, 
Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. When good plans go bad. What's going on? Here's what the Holy Spirit has opened Paul's eyes to see. First, that God has a big purpose in your broken plans. God has a big purpose in your broken plans. Paul says, life has not gone the way I thought it would these last six years. I'm in prison, I'm in chains, but the gospel is advancing. You would think the gospel would stop advancing or might retreat, but actually, he says, the gospel is gaining ground. When Paul talks about the advance of the gospel in verse 12, he uses a military term. It refers to the advance of an army nearing victory. Paul wrote these words in the first century world of the Roman Empire. And in that world, Caesar was worshipped as a savior, as a god. Forty-five years before the birth of Jesus Christ, when Julius Caesar returned to Rome from a great military victory, he was given divine status. I don't know how anybody gives somebody else divine status, but they thought they could do it. And a first century historian wrote these words. Then Caesar hastened to Rome, victor of all civil wars. He was feared and celebrated like no one before him. All kinds of exaggerated honors were created and bestowed upon him, even superhuman ones. Offering, celebrations, sacrifices, and statues in all temples and public places, in each of the provinces, for every community, and for all the kings allied with Rome. His person was pronounced sacred, and it was decreed that he could dispatch his official functions from a throne of ivory and gold. The cities annually had to celebrate the days of his victories, priests had to offer public prayers for him, and the administrators had to swear an oath not to resist any command of Caesar. To honor his birth, the month of Quintiles was renamed Julius, our July. Furthermore, numerous temples were to be built to him as a god. And there it is. Forty-five years before the birth of Jesus Christ, it was decreed that the Caesar of Rome was superhuman, that he was a savior, that he was a god, that he was the king over all other kings. Whenever a new man became Caesar, they announced it with the word gospel. Good news. That's what gospel means. Good news. They would proclaim, hear the good news. Hear the gospel. Julius is now Caesar. He is Lord. He rules over the world. 
that gives us some perspective on the staggering nature of Paul's claim. Paul is in chains in Caesar Nero's prison in Rome. In the Roman Empire, they're now worshiping Nero as a god. And Paul says, listen to the good news. (laughs) Hear the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing. As I sit in this other guy, he doesn't even give him his name. As I'm sitting in this other guy's prison in chains. Oh, there is a true king. Yes, there is. And his name is Jesus Christ. (laughs) He reigns, not this Caesar here in Rome. The message of Jesus, the true king, the gospel of Jesus, the true king, is advancing. So God has a big purpose in your broken plan. And here's the heart of it. God will advance the gospel from your prison. Whatever your prison looks like today, God will advance the gospel from your prison. Paul gives two reasons why the gospel is advancing from his prison, in his chains. The first reason is found in verse 13. Paul says, It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Let's talk about that palace guard for a minute. The palace guard was a very specialized, hand-picked military group of about 9,000 soldiers. They were Caesar's own personal bodyguards, strong, courageous, smart young men, kind of a mix of West Point and the Secret Service. And they served in the palace guard for 12 years, protecting Caesar and guarding the prisoners who appealed to him. After 12 years, they transitioned into other influential careers. Some went on to be the commanding generals of large forces. Others went into public office and became senators or ambassadors to other countries. Uh, Still others advanced into the top echelons of business and industry. As a group, they were among the movers and shakers of the future. They would be the opinion leaders and the kingmakers of the next generation. They were a powerful and strategic group of young men. If you wanted to influence the Roman Empire, you could not pick a better group to work with. The only problem is you had to go to prison to do it. I'll bet that every day Paul grinned to himself because for two years, one of those guards wore the other end of his chain. (laughs) He was chained to him for six hours, had to stay within four feet of the Apostle Paul. So you see what's happening. He was not chained to them. They were chained to him. (laughs) And during the early months, I'm sure the guards were likely, they likely assumed that Paul was like other prisoners, guilty of some crime such as leading a political revolt or embezzling huge sums of money or illegally profiteering from some disaster. But as they got to know him and as they listened in on the conversations he had with his friends and the letters that he wrote, it wasn't long until it became clear that he was in chains. He was in prison because of someone called Jesus Christ. 
over the months as their rotations kept coming around and they had to put on the chain, you know, and be connected to the Apostle Paul for six hours, Paul would talk with them. And Paul would talk with them about the man he used to be. He would talk about his encounter with Jesus Christ. He would talk about how Jesus Christ had saved him and changed his life. Picture it. Picture this. Guard after guard chained to Paul. Guard after guard hearing about Christ. Guard after guard talking to other guards about the prisoner who was in love with Jesus. The message of Jesus Christ was spreading among this group of 9,000 men and their families. But that was not Paul's plan. That was God's plan for Paul. What happened to Paul, his chains, his prison for Christ, rippled through the whole palace guard like a chain reaction. In verse 14, Paul gives a second reason why the gospel was advancing. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is actually quite common in church history. Persecution of some Christians gives other Christians a backbone. When people are persecuted for the gospel, you might think other Christians would retreat. You might think they would say, oh man, Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. I better hide. I better you know, go keep a very low visibility. But instead, it does the reverse. It makes them bolder. They say there's someone who is willing to stand up for what he believes. There is someone who believes it so much, he will suffer for it. It's in his veins. He really believes this stuff. He's not just going through the motions. So they start waking up. They start stepping up. They start speaking up. And so in Rome, other Christians were now preaching the gospel boldly. You know, wherever Paul went, you can just trace this in the book of Acts. Wherever Paul went, crazy things happened. When he entered a city and preached the gospel, things turned upside down. These days, it seems like wherever we go, they serve us pastries and coffee, and we hang out. It's nice, it's polite, but wherever Paul went, there were riots. Jesus was lifted up. God showed up. Crazy things happened. I don't know what to make of all that. Maybe we have too many pastries and not enough Jesus. In verses 15 and following to the end of our text, uh, Paul does talk about how some of the preaching of Christ comes from wrong motives. Some proclaim Christ out of goodwill, he says, but others out of ill will. Paul knows the difference. He knows what's going on. Maybe what bothered those with the mixed motives and the ill will was that Paul was getting too much attention. As far as they were concerned, he was a little bit too famous. The big shot apostle who came to town as an imperial prisoner guarded by Caesar's personal bodyguard. All the Christians in Rome were talking about Paul. Maybe some local pastors and other believers got a bit envious of all the attention Paul was getting. Who was he to come into their city and get all the praise after they had been ministering there for years? 
some of them took advantage of the situation so that they too could become more prominent. It was kind of a rivalry for them, fueled by jealousy. Their ambition was to become as noticed and esteemed as Paul. And they secretly hoped that as the attention shifted to them, the big star would get his comeuppance. Then he could see what it was like to be in somebody else's shadow, to have somebody else praise. They might have thought, he'll see us out there growing big churches, holding big rallies, getting a lot of press, while he can't go four feet without hitting the end of his chain. They wanted him to feel the chafing, the resentment, while they were freely moving about the city and building their own reputations. Paul knew their preaching was partly motivated by envy, rivalry, ill will, selfish ambition, as these verses say. Paul knew what was going on. Some had mixed motives. Others were motivated purely by love. But either way, Paul makes it clear that what mattered to him was that Christ was being preached. Again, I think that must have just brought a grin to Paul's face and a lot of joy inside. He says, what does it matter? Paul is, uh, Christ is being preached. Christ is being proclaimed. That's all that matters. Paul knew that what was happening to him was really serving to advance the gospel. And that was more important than his chains or his reputation. That was more important than his comfort or his convenience or whether life was fair for him or whether his plans worked out well or not. What mattered What mattered was that God was accomplishing something for himself. God was accomplishing something for himself. It's not about me, Lord. It's all about you, Lord. It's only about you. That's what's coming out of that prison cell. And that's why Paul could say, I I don't care. Chain me up, set me free. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Christ is being proclaimed. Some people have wrong motives. Some people have right motives. The gospel's going out either way, and I'm excited about that, says Paul. I rejoice. Because the gospel, this is what we need to remember. It's the gospel that is the power of God to save people. It's not good motives or bad motives that give the gospel its power or take it away. The gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. God is in it. God is in it, and there's the power. So Paul is saying, my imprisonment has emboldened others with this message, and Christ, the word, the good news, it's getting out. So in verse 18, the end of our text, Paul says, and because of this, I rejoice. He's in prison, the gospel is advancing, other people are sharing the gospel too, he rejoices. This was not his original plan. He wanted to go to Rome, hang out in people's homes, preach the gospel, have a great time, and then go to Spain to repeat that process. But God had a big eraser. God had a big eraser. God had a different plan for Paul. Paul reached people he never could have reached through his original ministry plan, that palace guard. The palace guards were not guys who normally would stroll into church to hear the gospel. You know, they were were big, tough guys. They didn't go there. 
But they were hearing the gospel. And this was going to change the Roman Empire from the inside out. Because God had a plan. God put Paul in the right spot for them. And Paul rejoices in that. So, here's the moral of the story. Wherever God has put you, be fully there. You know what we do. We say, I don't want to be there. I want to be here or over there. You can waste your life saying that. Wherever God has put you, be fully there. Verse 16 contains what I think might be the four most important words in this whole passage today. Paul says, I am put here. Do you see it? Do you see it in verse 16? I am put here. It's not random. It's not an accident. I am put here. He looks at his prison. He looks at his chains. He looks at his suffering. He looks at his messed up plans. And he declares, I am put here. God has put him there. God has greater plans for us than we have for ourselves. Do you believe that? Nice words. But do you believe it? That God has greater plans for you than you do for yourself. You would think that what happened to Paul would be a huge barrier to the advancement of the gospel. I mean, he's the leader. He's locked up in prison. This is how God decided he was going to advance his kingdom in this empire. He had greater plans for Paul than Paul had for himself for the city of Rome. Martin Luther said one time, we pray for silver, but God gives us gold instead. We don't realize it, but often we're praying just for silver. We're praying for something lesser, and we're settling for that. We think it's gold, but God has true gold for us. Whenever God says no to your plans, it's because he wants to say a greater yes to you for something else that you have not envisioned. He has better plans, bigger plans, and we have to trust him. So let's talk about making this passage real in your life today. There are three applications I want to make from this passage. First, put the gospel at the center of your life. First, put the gospel at the center of your life. Trust me, if you do not do that, there will be other things that will be put there at the center of your life. This passage only works because the gospel is what Paul cares about most in life. If if Paul cared most about comfort, he couldn't say any of this. If Paul's God were comfort, this would be a very different passage because it's not comfortable to be in prison. It's not comfortable to have your plans all messed up. But Paul's God is the Lord. The gospel is at the center of Paul's life. Put the gospel at the center of your life. Put it at the center of your thinking, your emotions, your ambitions, your dreams, at the center of all you are and all you do. Because if you don't, your idols they will let you down. If the God of your life is comfort or control or success or approval, you're going to be let down. You probably have been already, and yet back we go to our idol so quickly. But if the message of Jesus is at the center of our lives, we're not going to be let down. 
you are invincible because no matter what happens to you, you still win because Jesus wins. If you're killed, you get to be with Jesus. We're going to talk about that next week. So put the gospel at the center of your life. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will do in this fallen, sinful, broken world. Put the gospel at the center of your life. Second, for making this passage real in your life today. Second, thrive wherever you are. Does that ring any bells? Uh, What's our vision as a church? Our vision is to be a thriving family in the city where the broken from all nations are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus. That's our vision as a church. Flourish, thrive wherever God puts you. God has relocated some of you to be here in Philadelphia from other places. He did that with my wife and me many moons ago, and here we are. It was not our original plan. It wasn't in the works at all. God had a different plan, and I rejoice in that. God has put some of you in jobs that really are not your ideal jobs. God has put some of you where you don't want to be whether you're married or single, even if you're struggling and having a hard time, you've been put there. I am put here, says Paul. I am put here. You will never thrive and never flourish in Jesus unless you're able to say, wherever you are, I am put here. God has put me here. The only reason that Paul could say, I'm put here, in chains, in a prison cell in Rome, is because years earlier, Jesus Christ had said, I am put here on a Roman cross, on a hill in Jerusalem. I am put here. When Jesus' followers first looked at that cross, what did they think? They thought, the plan didn't work. It all went bad. The Messiah who came to rescue and redeem God's people just got killed. We just saw him take his last breath. He died. What good can come of this? But the resurrection came three days later, and God raised his son from the dead. (laughs) At first, your struggles may look and feel like a crucifixion, but a resurrection is coming. A resurrection is coming, and it's coming soon. Whatever happens to you, you can trust that God knows what he's doing. So he wants you to be fully there wherever he has put you. He wants you to trust him there. And Paul responded to his hard circumstances and broken plans by trusting that God had a plan. I am put here. We need a big God. Little gods do little things. That's all they can do. If you believe in a little God, it's going to do little things in your current circumstances. And that's not much fun. But if you believe in a big God, you believe that God does big things. So whatever is happening to you, whatever prison you are in, whatever chains you are wearing, whatever your circumstances, he can do big things right there. Flourish where you are. Be fully there. Third, and finally, for making this passage real in your life today, turn your prison into a pulpit. Turn your prison into a pulpit. Whatever circumstances are caging you in, whatever barriers 
Turn them into a pulpit. Use them to spread this good news message of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've noticed, but people are getting saved and lives are getting renewed at our church. And that is thrilling. It's exciting. Dead people are coming alive. Slumbering people are waking up. We are experiencing what I believe are the first tremblings and rumblings of revival. This gospel, we believe, it's a life-saving, life-changing message. And it runs on the power of God. And God is calling you to believe that message and share it with somebody else. God doesn't promise that your circumstances will be fair. But he does promise that there will always be something in them that will serve Christ's purposes. There, There will always be a word of hope to speak a kindness to offer, a prayer to lift up. There will always be something of Christ and for Christ in your circumstances. Look for it. Look for it. Look for it. If you don't, you will miss it, and you will never be able to be fully where God has put you. I've thought a lot about this in my own life. I know much more these days, what my chains look like. Uh, They look like contracting polio when I was four years old. They look like being afflicted with post-polio about 40 years later. They look like using a cane to get around. They look like preaching from a chair instead of my feet. Uh, They look like dealing with depression. They look like recovering from an addiction. That's what my chains look like today. I couldn't understand my chains very well when I was a young man, but I understand them today. And how I minister today, as a result of these chains, I I move among the broken. I move among the broken as a broken man who has found life and is being made whole in Jesus Christ. That's my ministry. And I can tell you, it's a very different ministry than the one I had when I was a young man 35 years ago, planting a church, all kinds of crazy things going on, nurturing a baby church that was growing, it was quadrupling in size in its first dozen years. That was then. This is now. And I need to be fully where I am, where I am put here. God knows what he's doing. To everything there's a season and a time for every purpose of God. So I'm learning, slowly I'm learning how to turn the prison of my own brokenness into a pulpit for the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ among the broken. I am put here. So this is why God messes up our plans with his big eraser. Our good plans go bad so that his greater gospel purposes will unfold. And the joy in living That's what this letter is about, real joy in real life. That's what Philippians is about, joy no matter what. The joy in living comes when we can honestly say, it's not about me, Lord. Not about me, Lord. It's all about you, and it's only about you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, meet us wherever we are. And so move in our lives that we will be able to echo your word 
this word that you sent through the Apostle Paul by your Holy Spirit, I am put here. Make us men and women who, whatever chains we wear, whatever prison we may find ourselves in, that we are able to say, I am here. I am put here. Help us to be fully here, Lord, for your glory. Help us to lay aside the plans that we had and embrace from the heart the plans you have. Lord, send us forth from this place with that message just just like a fire burning in our bones, that there is life, there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is joy, there is peace to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this be for your glory in this city, in our neighborhoods, and among the nations. In Jesus' name.